You're listening to Nobody's Podcast, where we share the remarkable stories of ordinary people leading extraordinary lives. Join us as we explore success, passion, and living life to the fullest. The journey begins now. This is Nobody's Podcast, and we're here to talk about success and how to live an extraordinary life. We're going to be interviewing individuals who lead a life of gratification and find great satisfaction in their lives. We'll be talking to them about how they found that satisfaction. Today, we're going to be talking to Paul Tyler of John O'Groats Restaurant, very successful restaurant in Los Angeles. And as I said before, this is nobody's podcast and I'm irrelevant. (laughs) So how are you today, Paul? I'm doing well, Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> Thank you for asking. I can see that. Paul, when did you realize that you were leading a life of satisfaction? When was that moment of epiphany that said, wow, I'm leading a life of satisfaction? I'm, I'm actually going to tell you a funny story. I'm, we moved to Los Angeles when I was uh, nine years old. My parents got divorced. And I, I remember specifically, you know, uh, it was kind of a, it was a tough time. And we lived in an apartment. And uh, in that apartment uh, was in a nice neighborhood. But I used to walk by some of the houses and, and wish that I lived in one of the houses instead of the apartment. And probably about 15 years ago, uh, I was on a run in my neighborhood. And I, I was looking at some of the houses and I looked and... I, I looked at one house and it looked like the house I live in with my wife and my children and my family. And I, and it reminded me immediately of how I wanted to live in a house that looked like that when I was a kid. And at that moment, I realized I live in that house that I, that I wanted to live in as a kid. It's not that specific home, no, but, but it- the neighborhood. And I realized, I said, man, my, my, my dream came true. I, I live where I wanted to live. And that was kind of one of those aha moments of realizing how blessed I am. And I, I, I think I've always had a lot of gratitude and I've always felt that uh, I'm, I'm grateful and, and blessed in my life. But that for sure. And I even remember running. I, I still remember that day. It was probably five, six o'clock. It wasn't dark. It was kind of a little chilly. And I looked and I said, wow, I live, I live where I wanted to live. So I guess then. Then? So how many years ago was that? That would have been about uh, 15 years ago. 15 years ago. Now you mentioned your parents had divorced. Oh yeah. For most people, that's a very difficult time. What was it for you? Well, my folks, from my earliest memories, my mother and my biological father were never really warm to one another. And I, it was uh, growing up in the household was uh, it was a lot of a lot of discord, I'll say. And uh, when they, I remember, well, it was in August of 1974. I woke up, and and my parents had a pretty good Donnybrook, if you will. You know, it was it was a real, real fight. And uh, woke up in the morning, and my father was gone from the house, and uh, you know, really. It was a tough one. And so he, uh, he left and, um, they, and ultimately they got divorced. He moved to Los Angeles and, uh, actually we followed him. My mom brought us down here to be closer to him. 
For uh, you? Yeah, or? I think for us. You know, maybe maybe in her mind, you know, that she wanted to reconcile. I'm not sure. I've never really asked her about that. Uh, she ended up marrying my stepdad who raised us, who was basically, he's, he's, he's the man that raised us. Um, Were you estranged from your father? No, no. I would say that we have a, a decent, good relationship. I, it's not as close as I'd like it to be. I think uh, still in his, and you know, he's 83 now. Oh, he's 84 now. We talk occasionally, but it's not, I, 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 we just never really grew to be close, close. And I love him dearly. You know, that's, I'm not going to say that I don't, but that, yeah, that's a relationship. So you're, you're here today. Yes. Uh, and we're underlined that you are satisfied. With, with your life. Oh, with life? Yeah, yeah. no. Overall, I, I'm just grateful. I tell people that I'm grateful basically four times or five times a day. And when I wake up in the morning and I, I put my hand right on my wife who's lying next to me and I just say, thank you, God, for putting this person in my life. Then a couple of times, three times during the day, you know, maybe it's, it's an interaction with a customer or maybe it's just somebody that is... What works with me, I'm just grateful. And then when I go to bed at night, I put my hand back on my wife and I say, thank you, Lord, for putting this person in my life, this woman. I'm sure you weren't grateful, or maybe you were, I don't know, that day that you woke up that morning and your dad wasn't there. Oh, no. Uh, you know, you're, you're, there's an intense feeling of loss. And you know? So what kept you going? Well, I, you know, you're... I'm nine eight at the time I think and I think well my mom's love let's just put it that way she really was very comforting to us my brother and I uh, I have an older brother who has cerebral palsy and he was quadriplegic from birth he communicates very well it's not like you know we've and so uh, I've always looked at her as a mother lioness protecting her cubs and uh, I think she always made us feel loved so I think that's part of how we were able to cope with that because we always had her, you know, to take care of us. I think I was deeply embarrassed by it as a kid. I think because I grew up in a Catholic household and I went to a Catholic grammar school and I didn't know any other families that were divorced. So I would tell people that my dad was on a business trip, you know, or something like that. And then you cope with it that way. Then when we moved to Los Angeles, I went to another Catholic school in Westwood and where my, my children ended up going to school. And I've been a part of that parish for almost 50 years. I would always tell people, oh, no, you know, my dad and my mom, uh, you know, they're divorced. And I would kind of, you know, put my head down. But uh, I think... When did you stop putting your head down? I would have to say when my mom and my step... Well, at that point, I guess probably around fifth or sixth grade, at that point, it didn't matter anymore. You know, it wasn't something of a stigma that bothered me as much as it did when I was a youngster. You know, that was, I think, I just be, I matured to understand that they shouldn't be together. I think that was it. You know, you take, I think you live life and you, you have lessons and you learn the lesson and then you learn from that lesson that now I'm a more mature person. I understand, you know, that they're, uh, they're not meant to be together. And then my mom met my stepdad who was, uh, you know, in our life and, and clearly one of the, the, the person in my life who taught me how to be a man. Your stepfather. Yeah. You know, it was my, my dad. What, what does that, what does that mean for you to be a man? 
I think that uh, to and in, in a man in the sense that be, beholden to your responsibilities. So being a man is taking responsibility with yes, yeah. and, and, and that, you know I don't want to put a gender on that, but no, and, no, you know, no, to right, me, exactly. Yeah. That's being what I meant. A human I being, am. Let's say being a human being, being a, a person, a, right. is taking responsibility, but a own. mature, honorable person that does what they say they're going to do. And then accomplishes that. Have you task. always taken responsibility in your life? I've I've tried to. I even the biggest mistakes that I've made. Yeah, you know, even in doing dumbass things, and you say, "Oh well, I'm sorry," and 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 own what it is that has gone down. Can you give us an example of one? Uh, I don't talk about it a lot, but you know, just maybe making some stupid choices after having too many beers, if you will. Okay. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, whether it's in an, an automobile or, or... What did you do when you made a stupid choice? Okay. Mm-hmm. And I know what you didn't do. You didn't quit. No, no, not at all. Exactly. You know what? I remember one episode in my life, and it was very early on in the relationship with my wife and I, and, uh, you know, I made a dumb choice and I felt pretty shitty about it. And my wife is, you know, and she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my girlfriend. And she says, you know what? Put that feeling in a bottle and keep it with you so you always know what it's like. And that was a really great bit of advice. Put that in a bottle and you have it always there. And so you know what it is and you put that bottle back. Okay, so you, you made the mistake. Right. which means it, to err is human. And then it goes on and says to persevere is diabolical. So don't continue to say, make the same mistake. You made the mistake, but you didn't stop living. No. You kept going. What was your driving factor? What keeps you going? And this is where you're going to find out more about me. The cornerstone of my life is my faith. And that's what keeps me rolling day to day. That is my faith in God and Christ and, uh, and the Holy Spirit. I, I share that with people. Right now I'm sharing with you because it's important to me to, to talk about it. I don't share it with everybody. I'm not, I'm not the person that is you know, trying to recruit anybody to be anything but what they're that was meant you, to be. Right. You answered a different question. I asked you what is your driving factor when you make mistakes and it's your faith. Yeah. And I know, I know that because I know that I'm going to make a mistake. I am not human. I am a human being and I'm very fallible. Uh, In fact, I have some, you know, I could be extremely fallible if I wasn't more aware of what my, the best instructor, teacher, educator that we can possibly have is the last mistake we made. Mm -hmm. You learn. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting that you learn from those mistakes Faith. How? How does faith help I, you drive, help push you to I, I think become it, the success that you've become? My faith has helped me become successful because I know that it gives me the wherewithal to give my very best of myself. I expect more of myself because I know that my purpose here on this earth is to create a better life for the people, myself and the people around me. So when you make a mistake, are you the best of yourself? No, no. But I know, I realize that I am a human being. Okay. And that I am going to make those mistakes. You know, uh, whatever it is, and whatever, even in the most mundane 
thing in life, whether it is at work and I, you know, I made a mistake in, in, in calculating something for somebody and, and I didn't tell them a truth maybe, and it's not really a big deal, but like, say, if I told somebody, you know, it's going to be 25 minutes before I get you seated and then it turns into 45 minutes, you know, I, how do you own up to that? How do you own up to that oh, with the people? I, that it's something that I most, I think most people want to know that you care. So when you, when you make a mistake in that respect, you know, you, you approach somebody and say, you know what, I am, uh, I apologize for, you know, whatever it is. Let me take care of this. I, I like to overcompensate. I think that's my whole deal. I mean, I'm in the restaurant business. I think what, you know, I, I have people in my home every day. That's basically what it is. And so I want them to know how much I really care about them being in our home. So if I make a mistake like that, I want to make sure that I make good on that mistake. Have you ever been misunderstood? I think you mean like in at work with people there or in life. I mean, in your, in your trying to correct your mistakes, have you ever been misunderstood? You go there and you try to show people that you care and has it, have you ever been misunderstood? You know, it's like, Oh my God, why is this person so hypocritical? Why is right. this person, you know, what is he trying? No, I don't think so. I think I, why? I, why do, why have I not been misunderstood? Yeah. I think because I'm honest and if I am misunderstood and you didn't get that point and I'm being honest, well, that's, that's on you, not on me. What are the um, aspects, okay, that you would use to define your life that is a successful life? How successful and meaningful. Meaningful, yeah. What, what are the aspects of your life that you would use to define a meaningful and successful life that you have? I think number one is my relationships with people and, and my higher being. I think that success is in that I have a good feeling and positive energy from those relationships. Honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody that I don't have a good relationship with. And I think that stems with the idea that I try to live my life with only positive energy. So I, if there's negative energy, meaning something is trying to extract something from me, I eliminate that. I don't have any friends in my life that need or want anything from me other than my friendship. Have you ever been stolen from? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, and it feels awful. But then I always think this, too, and I know this is kind of a weird spin on it, but I always think if somebody stole something from me, they probably needed it a lot worse than I do. You know, I had some money uh, the last time I got stolen from. It was about, uh, oh, I know, I was uh, in uh, August of 2021, and I had gone to the bank, right? And uh, I had my money pouch with me, and I normally bring it everywhere I go, but I was just going to run inside the restaurant for a minute, and I locked the door, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to run in and, and, and uh, get a glass of water and da -da -da, come back out. And then I stayed in there for about 10, 12 minutes. I came back out, and the windshield or the side window on my vehicle was broken right and I thought what the hell you know and I look and they had drove from the bank with me what happened how they how they knew that that was because I never leave anything in my car so they stole from me and uh you know again I just I thought well did you feel violated well I felt shitty yeah, yeah. I felt like no, why, why would somebody do that to me why you know, I thought then I just was going over my mind and thinking, were they watching me? Yeah, I felt violated. You know, that you just feel dirty. Like, yeah, yeah you feel like, uh. So, 
But, you know, again, I, I got How'd over, you get through that? How'd you get over that? I got over that by just thinking, you know what? Thank God it wasn't more. It could have been worse, right? So it wasn't that big a deal, really. It was stuff. But what about they needed it more than... Oh, well, I always go there first. So, I mean, God bless them. You know, if they got it, great. I hope they used it for something other than drugs. Probably not, but, you know, that probably was the case. So... Uh, and you always made more of it anyway, right? Yeah. I remember one time, here's another time, I lost money, right? And uh, not gambling. Uh, I lost it. <laughs> I lost it. My folks had gone out of town and they kind of were giving me the keys to the, to the, to the restaurant and, you know, take care of stuff. This was early. I was probably about 24. And I was going to make a night deposit at the bank. It was Santa Monica Bank. It was on Pico Boulevard. I remember it real clearly. And what you do is, if you would remember, or if you ever did this, you would go to a night deposit, right? You had a key. It was like a safe in the wall. You opened it, and you would put the bag in there and close it and lock it. And I did that. And But... I didn't know that you have to like push it down. Like otherwise sometimes it doesn't go down. I just got, and somebody stole it. And I remember it was about $4,000. You know, this is a weekend and this is, that's how much this was 19. This would have been probably 19 and 89, 1990. And oh man, I just felt really bad then. You know, that was no And again, you overcame that one. Oh yeah. 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 No. Oh, that was, Thank God for insurance. <laughs> so that was a, that was a plus. But again, you know, you, I think, you know, when we talk about trauma and we talk about life incidences and, and setbacks, I, I had a woman that worked with me for, unfortunately, a very short period of time, but she was a nice woman. And uh, she said to me, and I, I lived this, and this was, again, about maybe 15, 20 years ago. And she said, 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% of it is how you deal with it. What you do with it. Yeah. With what, yes. And I've always like, okay, well, I can shoot. I, you can make a choice unless you're clinically depressed to be happy or not be happy. And, and to. Some would say that even when you're clinically depressed, you can make a choice. Well, I you would. You can decide not to be. There. I hope so. You know, I, I've lived that way and I, and I. And I've tried to give that type of advice to, uh, you know, people that I love, uh, my family or, or friends. You've mentioned that word love several times. And then you mentioned relationships and how important they are in your life. Yes. Let's talk about probably the most important relationships, family. Yes. Where does that fit in in all in your success? Uh, that's after God, that's my number one driver. How do they drive you? I told my wife, and I remember this distinctly, I like me better when I'm with you. You make me my best version of myself. <laughs> really. Jack Nicholson in, in, yes. in the movie. With, yeah. Well, there's, a, there's I, something I know. I heard that line was also in The Accidental Tourist. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that, I don't that's know if that's William, William Hurt. Hurt yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I think Gina. Yeah. Big Gina, tall Gina. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, Gina Davis. Gina Davis, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's my kids. And I'm going to say this because it meant a lot to me. About uh, a week ago, well, on the 10th of March of this year, of 2023, I was honored by a group uh, that it operates through our parish, St. Paul the Apostle in Westwood. And uh, there is a foundation called the St. James Inn, 
And what they do is uh, they are three homes in the West Los Angeles area that are provided to persons whose loved ones may be in the hospital. St. John's, UCLA, Cedars. And if you live outside of a 50-mile radius, you may stay in these homes. And in most of the cases, these persons, uh, A, it's probably pretty catastrophic that your loved one's in the hospital. Maybe it's a heart transplant, lung transplant, cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So they stay in these homes, and um, I uh, have provided meals for them or go over them and talk to the families because I think that's really important. Like sometimes uh, with the in St. James, the foundation will say, Paul, can you uh, bring or can you provide Thanksgiving dinner? I say, yeah, but I really want to take it over and meet the family. So I wanted to go and meet with these families. That organization had a fundraiser and I was honored by this organization. This is going to answer a question that you'd asked me earlier about, you know, when did I realize my life was fantastic? My wife and the person that was master of ceremonies had put together this video montage of my children and my wife thanking me and congratulating me for what we had done and just expressing their pride and and happiness as to being their dad and husband and that was like a dream again it was a dream come true like who like nobody really and says we're we're eulogized when we when we die and we don't get to hear it in person Right. The word, the kind words that people have for us. Well, here I was in a room of about 500 people celebrating at an Irish Kaylee. Ca- is a, basically it's a party, you know. It's a big Irish music and drinks are flowing and good food. And these people were celebrating my efforts. You know, it was something that for me, why well, was you know you must have the wrong guy kind of thing. I I, I do these things because I think. It's what I'm supposed to do. I, I think that's why I'm on this earth. I read a great book probably about two years ago. I, a buddy of mine, his son plays football or did at IU, Indiana University. And the coach, and I can't remember his name, he's having great success. And they were interviewing him in the Wall Street Journal. And he had read this book that kind of really changed his life. And it's called A Purposeful Life. It is by a pastor who's since retired. It was in Orange County, Rick Warren. Rick Warren. So Rick Warren writes this book and it's about what your life is about. And I I realized in reading that book that I have a ministry and my ministry is my, my restaurant. It's my church basically. And I, that's where I minister my belief in taking care of one another. John O'Groats. Yes. Undoubtedly. A successful restaurant, well-known in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Very well-known. And people come there, and I think that when you walk in to John O'Groats, the first thing you feel is the warmth that you've been talking about. What are some factors that you feel that have made John O'Groats a successful restaurant? My mother and my dad created the space and the foundation to build on. And, and, and that foundation includes, in the restaurant part of it, great service, great food, value. But the other components that they brought to it were the warmth and the atmosphere that really, it's our home. When people come in, when customers come in, they're coming into your home. 
You're coming into my home. Yes. And that's how you received them. That's how I received them. And I was telling somebody, in fact, it was today, I said, you know, you're going to come into this restaurant and you're going to get something that you're very unlikely to find at any other restaurant in this city. And you're going to find warmth and love. Now, everybody, you know, and you're going to find it the entire day, every day that I'm there. And that's why I work basically seven days a week. And I love it. I, I you know, the old adage is, uh, if you love what you, de- what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. And I've... I believe that of, was Mark Twain. Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I believe. I'm not sure. Well, I've heard it often enough that yeah. I live that. Like, and, you know, I mean, look, I'm not going to be Pollyanna about it. I, there's a lot of things that I have but to deal with. In, but in this, in this um, time together, yes. several things we've underlined, how important love is for you and how important relationships are for you. And the other one is giving. Yes. Now, customers come in. Yes. And you receive them, not in a restaurant, but in a home that looks like a restaurant. Yeah. Okay. Or, and, and some would even say that it looks like a home because when you enter the restaurant, to the immediate right, there's pictures of my family. And there's a big picture of my mother and my dad and I. And then there's a picture that my wife and I, we, we went to Scotland. We went to John O'Groats which is the most northern point of Scotland. And uh, we, there's a picture of my wife and my three kids uh, when the kids were smaller. And then there's pictures from my wedding of my father and I, my mom and my dad, which we actually just redid the menu. And that photograph is on the cover of the menu, the picture of my mom and my dad. And then there's other photographs. And then on the left-hand side, it's almost set up like a, a salon, like a living room. There's a, there's a couch and a coffee table. And then directly behind that, there are pictures of more family. There's a picture of my brother and I that was illustrated by one of my mother's workmates. There is a photograph of my brother and I that we took at the NFL Network. I think I may or may not have mentioned that I have an older brother, Carl, and he is 60 years old. And he has cerebral palsy and he's quadriplegic from birth. But he is, he communicates very well, you know, just like we're talking right now. But that's his affliction is the quadriplegic aspect of it. There's pictures of us, pictures of him when he was about eight years old at a stable because they would take this class of handicapped children and they would go horseback riding. So there's, a, there's those photos. So that's that's the home aspect of it. You know, you, you see all this stuff. So, so immediately you understand that you're in a different so the, space. So the customer comes in. Yes. You're feeding these people. But to go back to that other word that's important to you is to give. Do you limit your giving, your feeding to just customers? No, no, not at all. In fact, I'm excited when anybody walks through the front door. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm excited that you're coming to my home. And so during the pandemic, and I think this is kind of important, we would have people that were food delivery people. And they would come in and and pick up the meals. and, And I got to the point where I would offer them something for being there to join us, whether it was our freshly baked buttermilk biscuits or a uh, lemonade or, you know, water, you know, anything. I just, I felt, you know, hey, it's, it's a good thing to do. It's, it, people remember these gestures. So the other day I did that for somebody and this guy wrote an, uh, like a Google, you know, uh, 
five star, you know, best lemonade I've ever had. I'm like, oh my God, that was the guy I gave the lemonade to. And, and I don't do it for that. It's just, it comes naturally, you know? And I know that part of it could be said that, oh, that's just good business. But I don't even think of it in that moment. I just think of it like as doing it because that's what I should do. What's your relationship with your staff? Oh, uh, I think we all get along. I, I told somebody, because this is a very important aspect of what I do. People don't work for me. They work with me. And and that that is very... I kind of thought about that years ago because part of the whole thing is that you the way to motivate people is to let them know that you're not just there to tell them what to do you're there to listen to them and show them and and live the experience as they are and not just so by what if they leave a bad experience what if they hap- something happens bad Right. You know, they live a bad experience. Are you going to live that experience with them? Well, if something like, uh, like if a child dies or, yeah, uh, I had one of my guys years ago and he had been with us for many, many years whose son committed suicide. And uh, we went to his home to help him. And he lived in South Los Angeles. He lived on 50th, way down in LA. And uh, in fact, I remember... If you remember in 1992, after the uh, Rodney King verdicts were read and there was uh, a lot of mayhem going on down in South L.A. And this young man's, I remember he called and he said, please let me talk to setting our house on fire. You know what? Yeah, immediately. And, you know, dad got on the phone. So unfortunately, that young man took his own life. And he was uh, probably in his late teens, early 20s at the time. Now, when he called, he was a little boy. So fast forward. And we went to our, you know, our friend's home and we tried to console him the best that we could. And the thing about my life, and I really, this is another thing that's really important. I live my life with compassion and empathy. And I learned that empathy is a very, very strong emotion it's not being sympathetic because sympathetic doesn't mean you're trying to feel what the other person is feeling i try to live my life empathetically and and with compassion so as in regards to my staff i always remind them it was something i learned years ago and i'll in the neighborhood that we're right now there a friend of mine lived across the streets the the acting teacher in that class taught me some very great wisdom And uh, one of those pieces of wisdom was that when you're ready to get on the stage, you leave the mud on your boots at the door. Or you take those boots off and you leave them and you get on stage and you do your work and you come back and you get them and you go home. And so that was very important. So I always remind the people that work with me, when we're here, we're here in this space to do what we're supposed to do, which is serve other people and graciously and with a smile and we're working. And then when we go home, we can hug each other or talk or whatever when when the hours are over. And I, you know, I always want to make sure that I know, you know, when people come to work with me, they're there and, and hopefully that they're earning a good living. They're there to enrich their lives. I'm not there to keep anybody beholden to me. If you're not a happy person, that's not going to work for me. I, I need that space to be filled with positivity. 
So if if have you ever fired someone? Oh yeah, multiple times. You know, I mean, it doesn't happen all. It happens very, very, very infrequently over the last, well, I've been running the restaurant literally since the late 80s, early 90s, early 90s. And so I, yeah, of course, you know, and that that is primarily because it's just, there are obstacles that are not being overcome. And, and actually, anytime that anybody works with me, it's an invitation to be in our space. What would you do if one of your staff stole from you? Uh, I, I think, we, it, well, there's a reason people are stealing. And the reason people steal is because they don't have enough. And this so, is your empathy. Yeah, but it's true. Right. You know, I mean, that's what it is. I so mean, what, what would you do? Well, we'd have a discussion as to why uh, I've had other. And then because if I, I wouldn't make the accusation at all if I didn't know it was true. So if I know something to be true, I will address it. If I don't know it not to be true, I'm not going to say anything because I don't have enough evidence. And then other, the other factors legally are not easily manipulated. So you have to know that it's true. And then if you know that it's true and they're not being honest with you, then that means that they can't be trusted. And a person that can't be trusted is negative energy and negative energy needs to be cut out. And so that's, that's what's, it's happened before, you know, and it'll happen again. We're all human beings, you know, that's what's so, going to happen. No matter what happens, the underlying thing is you never quit. No, I, I, I can't, I can't afford to. No, but Can I, anyone? No, but I, uh, no, I don't. And I have to, and again, I try to have that positive spin on things. I don't try. I do. You do. You never quit. Another thing like we did, we did relationships, we did love, we did giving. You never quit. And it seems like you never stop learning. No, I think I, my mind has become more open as I've gotten older. I think I've become much wiser. Will you become more wiser with time or you I, stopped? I know. You I reached your, no. you know everything there is to know now. No, I'll never know everything there is to know. I want to learn every day from my family. And my, my daughter uh, gave me some fantastic books to read. And uh, I have since kind of taken the ball and run with it on a couple of those books. My freshman year in college, I lived in a dorm and I was the only white person in that dorm. My roommate and I had played high school football at Loyola High School and he got recruited to play at uh, the Cornell and he said, you know, we, we need to, uh, you need to look at this restaurant because your parents have a rest at this university because your parents have a restaurant, they have a restaurant school and we can go to school together. And he says, yeah, we can live together. I said, oh, yeah, I'm in. I, you know, I, I was going to go to Cal. And so I end up going and he says, well, by the way, we're going to live in a dorm and it's, and it's all black. And I said, I don't care. I just want to live with you. So it wasn't a big deal to me. So we lived in a dorm called Ujima, which in Swahili means economic cooperation. And so I lived in this dorm. And so it changed my view of uh, my relationships with people in general, just people. And then as I got older, I read certain things and I kind of changed my ideas on certain things. And my daughter gave me this great book and it is called Coates. The author is named uh, Tehisi Coates, I believe. And it's called Between the World and Me. 
And uh, then some other really important stuff that I just found really enriching. And uh, I, I, I never stop learning. I learn from my kids. I learn from people around me. I've learned from my brother, Carl, how to live my life. Who never stopped learning and living. Carl. No what his, his impediments exactly. might have been. He just keeps going. He is. He's the fire that started me early. You know, I mean, that guy is uh, I've learned a lot. I've learned how to live my life because of him. Uh, and how to, again, be empathetic, uh, have patience. He's my rock uh, in so many different ways, you know, before I was married, you know, obviously. And he's uh, just a great motivator to me. So I, I think that's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, you know. Right. I mean, there really is. But Paul, pleasure. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Really, pleasure. And I'm sure our listeners are going to get a great pleasure of hearing this wonderful story of someone who will continue to live till the day he no longer is alive. And there's some people, unfortunately, that are alive biologically or technically, right. but they're not living. No. And I, it sounds like you just keep I living. Live, I want to live every day to the fullest. I work hard. I play hard. You know, I mean, and, and that's how I live my life. I want my, my kids to know that. They know I'm very passionate about everything that's around me. You know, I, I was going to tell you something because it meant a lot to me. And it was like, you know, I do get emotional about certain things. You know, when I see persons not living in a home or on the streets or whatever I see, or even I can see something and they just don't look happy. I stop for a second and I say a prayer and I just say, you know, I pray God that they ultimately will know you like I know you. You know, and that's really how I feel about all people that they know that they have that relationship and it doesn't have to be defined as God. I mean, that's God has revealed God's self to me as through my life experiences. But I just, you know, I always, I think that for people that's that I really, those are my wishes and prayers. God bless you. And you as well, (laughs) sir. He has very, (laughs) very, very happy to have had you on nobody's podcast who knows maybe he'll come back again someday carlo levy at the end of his book christ stopped at eboli said the eye that was i when i arrived is not the eye that am i today sort of translated from italian the best i could but meaning we're never the same person we were five days ago or even an hour ago we're constantly changing constantly progressing and the trick is to constantly live, live through experience and let that experience teach you and give you as much as it can. And it seems like you're a man who's enjoyed every experience, even ones that um, may seem to be negative to other people. You made the best of them. As that lady said, it's not about what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you makes the difference. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much. I very much enjoyed being here. Thank you for listening to Nobody's Podcast. We hope our guest story today has inspired you to live your dreams and achieve success on your own terms. Tune in next time as we continue this journey of empowerment and positive change. Dream big. Work hard. 
and go live the life you've always imagined. This is Nobody's Podcast, signing off.